0: Hi, I'm Raj Kumar, President and Editor-in-Chief at Devex. You're listening to Davos Dispatch, our special edition of This Week in Global Development. I'm here in the freezing cold, snowy ski town in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. And I'm here to pull back the curtain for all of you who listen to this podcast through conversations with a number of diverse leaders from around the world on some of the most important issues facing the globe today. Listen in, and let me know what you think. I'll be joined today by Samila Zubairu, who's the president and CEO of the Africa Finance Corporation, to talk about the move that's called Billions to Trillions, the idea that we can somehow crowd in private sector finance at the level of trillions of dollars to solve the climate and other development challenges the world faces. I'm eager to hear from Samila about what's working and what's possible. Nice to see you, Samila. One of the big themes that we have been talking about, I think here at the World Economic Forum, but more broadly in the development community, is development finance. This is your area of great expertise, what you do every day. One of the big question marks is can the multilateral development banks, especially the World Bank, Now that it's shareholders like the U S government and the Germans and the British and everyone else say, we need you to reform. We need you to be much faster, work at a much higher scale, find ways to bring in huge amounts of private sector investment. One of the big questions, is: can that actually work? And the Africa finance corporation that you lead is an example that it can, that it does, but when you look at the way the MDBs are structured, their culture, the way they currently work. What is holding us back from here to the point where we actually see the billions to trillions agenda start to play out in real life? Very good
1: question. And the answer to your question is yes. You know, With partnerships and collaboration, it certainly can work. You know, Like I was saying, um, and I've said to you several in the past, the Africa Finance Corporation is an example of public-private partnerships, innovative public-private partnerships with the capabilities to mobilize additional capital to work at scale, you know, um, through what we do. And I'll just give you some examples just so that you you, you know. You know, I, we commissioned uh, a wind farm in Djibouti um, last year around September. It's the first independent power project in the country. It's the first uh, uh, renewable power plant in in the country. It will provide um, 50% of the energy requirements of of the country, and it will put them, you know, on a a good trajectory to be one of the first countries that will be entirely powered by renewable energy. Um, The power plant there is going to replace imported energy from Ethiopia. Now, how did we bring that to life? It was a collaboration between the government of uh, Djibouti through the Greenhorn Investment Holding Company, uh, which is the entity that owns their ports and most of the assets in the country. We said to them that we would like to work with you to do this, and we'll do it in a partnership in which you would be a limited partner, you would be 10% shareholder, you know, and we would um, put in the capital that's required to develop and de-risk the project, and we did that. Um, starting at ninety percent, you know, and as we de-risked the project, um, we got to stages where we could talk to partners. We invited FMO. Uh,
0: That's the Dutch uh, Development Finance
1: exactly. Institution. Exactly, and and they came in together with the Climate Investor One, and we sold down thirty-nine uh, percent of the entity to them. So we reduced from ninety to fifty-one percent, and together we completed the development. Together we put in place a construction finance uh, equity bridge instrument to construct the plant, and we commissioned it. Now we have um, debt providers uh, coming in, lining up to provide debt uh, for, for the project.
0: Right, because you know there's revenues, you're selling electricity, and you know, people have to exactly, pay for that, so exactly. you can easily create a bond Exactly, exactly. It.
1: I mean, the, the plant is commissioned, so there's electricity on the grid now. So people now will not be wondering if the project would happen you know, um, they can see the plan, they can see the energy flows. Of course, I, w- I must not forget to add that uh, we got a uh, MIGA guarantee, that's an arm of the of the World Bank. So that shows you how the collaboration and partnerships coming together make things work. So what do we do going forward, how do we scale up? We scale up again with partnerships, you know, um, by working with institutions like ours and several others across the continent and across the global south, you know, and having, dedicated, you know, um, funding lines uh, for both equity, which is what is required to de-risk, and also for debt, you know, um, and then together we can do the development that will make it attractive, we will de-risk the opportunity and make it attractive for commercial capital to flow through. So so once you have cash flows, commercial capital can flow through.
0: That's right, because then it's de-risk. We we talk about this word a lot, so I just want to kind of emphasize what it means. Mm -hmm. In this case, you put up your own money. Yes. You said, we know we have to do some feasibility studies. We know we have to write up a power purchase agreement to make sure that there, if there is power, somebody will buy it at what price. We know we have to do all the legal Pay work. for legal fees. we got to go meet with the government. We have mm-hmm. to make sure that they are really going to be invested. There's quite a bit of upfront work and money, yes. and someone has to be willing to risk that. Exactly. Because, of course, it's possible the project fails, never starts. Yep. So you do that upfront with your own money. Yes. As Africa Finance Corporation once you get to a certain point where it looks like this wind farm project could really work, you're able to bring in other investors, private exactly. and public. Yep. And then eventually you can start generating money through the project when the wind farm is built and sell off bonds yes. against the revenues that are coming in. Exactly. So that's sort of the perfect example, I think, of what people mean when they say billions to trillions. Yes. Right? You take a rel- your, your organization has $3 billion in capital. Slightly above, yeah. Slightly above. Yeah. Um, But probably the biggest asset you have is that you're on the ground. Yes. You know that there is such a thing as Djibouti and its need for wind and its opportunity around wind. You know the government. That's a huge asset. And so you're able to find and identify these, these projects and bring all the pieces together. I guess the question is, the MDBs, now that they have this new lease on life, they have this new mandate from their shareholders, can they do what you're doing can they do it at a much higher scale, given that they have much more capital, at much faster speed? Just given the urgency in the world, especially around climate, is this actually possible? It is
1: possible, you know. And just to kind of provide some context, you know, so we we've, uh, we we've just closed the, the books for twenty twenty three. We're closing with total assets of 13, of uh, twelve billion, you know, um, and um, yeah. So we we've grown to from ten and a half billion end of 2022 to 12.1 billion, end of uh, uh, 2023. It shows, you know, the the, the growth in in the business and in the opportunities. So certainly it is possible. I mean, all the multilaterals can definitely do that, but I think it will be more important for us to have partnerships. You know, so we have a lot of frameworks. So we have the common finance uh, um, agreement uh, uh, framework, framework, whereby we have most of the multilateral developments Uh, working together. We had a summit in in Paris last year. You know, we have the Africa Investment Forum, whereby the multilateral development banks and the uh, development banks out of Europe and Saudi Arabia all work together to do um, projects in Africa. So all of these tools help. What is most important is for us to uh, introduce more urgency in our approach to work. You know, we, we need to um, really try to focus on outcomes. We need to be asking ourselves, how many megawatts have we cost to happen? How many jobs have we cost to happen? How many jobs have we created? How many kilometers of road have we built? How many ports have we built? And what will it take for us to do that? You want some how accountability in the system. Exactly, you know, I mean, we, we should all be accountable. You know, we should be looking at what's the baseline you know at a certain period of time what are we doing to cause improvements to happen what are we doing to improve what we met
0: are you interested in the intersection of business and social impact do you want to know how corporate sustainability, ESG, impact investing and more can contribute to development finance? My name is Adva Saldinger. I'm a senior reporter at Devex, and I've been reporting on these issues for nearly a decade. I'm the author of Devex Invested, our free weekly newsletter dedicated to development finance. Every Tuesday, we explore how companies, investors and market mechanisms are reshaping the world of development finance. Visit devx.com slash newsletters and join us on Tuesdays. So much of the conversation is still about inputs. It's just about money. You hear a lot of discussion about how big is the capital. How do you stretch to the, you know, sweat the balance sheet, get more capital. But there's a lot less discussion about these kinds of outcomes, about megawatts you know children in school literacy rates there's much less discussion about that and i know you're a big critic not just of that in the multilateral system broadly but also when it comes to the bilateral aid agencies themselves that there needs to be a much more accountability for all the billions of dollars of taxpayer money being spent on development
1: yeah i mean I, I, exactly and for me you know like i said earlier you know i want us to really be focused on what can we do you know, um, to accelerate development impact. And that comes with having partnerships. You know, so what we do, I'll give you an example again. We created a company, you know, uh, in partnership um, with government, and we put in place managers, you know, and they are focused on um, industrialization. You know, focus on value chains, ecosystems, you know, and cost in transformation. I'll give you some examples. So we started in Gabon. You know, where we have uh, built a carbon special economic zone. It is actually the first carbon neutral economic zone in Africa, as we speak. You know, um, and it was building the ports, building an industrial park, putting in place an approval and a regulatory framework within the industrial park. So anybody that wants to do business in the country gets all the approvals within that space. You don't have to travel all around. Investing in upgrading the rail tracks Investing in coaches, investing in wire lines to the industrial park, and Gabon has now gone from exporting rock logs of wood to uh, furniture, veneer, plywood, saw wood, with over 80 companies from Asia, uh, Europe, all operating, and China, all operating within that zone. In fact, we actually have opened a showroom in the U.S. where we're selling made-in Gabon furniture. They were able to provide the history of the wood, the tree, and how it was... You can trace it yes, and certify it. Yes, you can trace it and see that it's FSC satisfied everything. So that's an example. We've replicated that again in Benin Republic, where we're focusing on cotton, cashew, and soya. We have exported you know, T-shirts you know, um, to the children' place in the U.S., you know, um, out of that, you know, we're looking at uh, livestock in Chad, where we're now providing livestock, you know, within Central Africa, you know. Um, so there's the continental free trade is is happening, you know, because we we now have livestock from Chad being consumed in Cameroon, in Gabon, and the Republic of of, of Congo, and this is something that we can do at scale. We're also having conversations, you know, about export to the Gulf. You know of, of of the livestock, you know, and of course we are looking at a project, similar project in Nigeria, you know, um, at the Remo Industrial Zone in Cote d'Ivoire as well, and in and in uh, DRC and ROC, where we actually have scaled up our ambition there. There we hope to actually produce um, PV cells, you know, that will be used for for for, for, for solar, solar power, panels, yep. you know, because you know I I, I was saying to you know group of African leaders that I was having a conversation with, that, look, we need to really advocate, you know, for um, more industrial activity, more value capture taking place in Africa, considering the fact that Africa has most of the minerals and metals that are required for the energy transition, and we do indeed have significant renewable uh, energy sources, significant hydro, significant solar, significant wind including even gas, you know, as a transition fuel. So um, it can't be that we would now be importing all those solar panels into Africa. You know, we're going to need 2 million trucks minimum for the continental free trade area to take place. It can't be that we're going to use diesel trucks. We should be thinking about using electric trucks. Uh, It can't be that all those electric trucks are now imported into Africa, adding to the emissions from the first- exporting the raw materials to uh, wherever they're produced, and then importing back the finished goods back into Africa. We should have the Airbus model, you know, uh, whereby each country that has a specific mineral would process it to a certain level, and then we find aggregation areas, be it in uh, Nigeria, be it in uh, Morocco, be it in South Africa, you know, be it in uh, um, Kenya, where, you know, new car assembly hubs uh, are emerging. You know, um, we we should look at that. I mean, this is long term, but if we don't have the vision today and start, we're not going to get there. You know, so we have all the cobalt, nickel, platinum, all those minerals. We shouldn't just be exporting them raw anymore. Mm -hmm. We should make sure that we have some value addition, you know, and then if we do the the first intermediate product, and then we can improve on that, and improve on that, and improve on that. And then over some time, we can now start to have the batteries first, and then eventually the, the car assembly. It, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be, let's say, f- for trucks that we know are, are, are going to be needed. So whoever is making trucks, you know, Volvo you should come to set up a plant in, 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 in Africa. So we're doing a, a a gold mine recently. I told them to get electric trucks, but there was none. You know, so we have to buy
0: typical diesel polluting trucks. Yep. Yeah.
1: You know, but I mean if they were available, we would have bought it.
0: Yeah. You know. What's striking to me, Samaila, is how you look at the fifty-four countries of Africa and you see a massive investment opportunity. Yes. You're looking at some of the countries you mentioned are places that if you go to your colleagues at the MDBs or bilateral aid agencies and you mention these countries, their immediate response is, oh, this is a tragic situation, this Mm -hmm. is a basket case. Mm -hmm. Some of the countries you mentioned have had recent coups, Mm -hmm. yet you're working there. Yes. What is the disconnect? What is it like for you when you meet with your colleagues in the West and the major donors and, and have discussions about these places? It seems like you're coming at this from a very different angle.
1: Yeah, because that's my, but so my, my, my mandate is Africa. You know, they are looking at a broader uh, uh, horizon, and so they can pick and choose what works for them. But for me, I have to make Africa work. That's my job. My job is to make Africa work, irrespective of all the challenges. You know, I tell the team all the time, and I have an amazing team. You know, I tell them, look, our job is to find the reason to make it work, not the reason for it not to be done. So we have to reverse it. Our job is to find reasons to make it work, and we have made it work, so how can we replicate what we have made work? What can we learn from what hasn't worked? How can we perfect that over time? and I just want to give you um, one example of, of this so w- Zambia is in default, you know so generally the the view is that um, everything has gone wrong there, but our projects have not failed. We continue to get repaid and how is that because you know we have properly diligence the project to the cash flow you know and the cash flow has not changed the government is having issues but our project is not having issues
0: right they need whatever it is that you're providing energy water power exactly
1: And, and and we're getting paid you know um in most jurisdictions you know we're able to you know, look at the projects. So I give an example. Let's say, you know, you mentioned Sierra Leone, for example, and Liberia. Countries with significant mineral resources, but very low GDP. You know, so if you just look at the GDP, you can't do anything in that country. You know, but uh, what we're saying to them and what we're trying to work with them to do is to change that, you know. Um, and we have a plan to change that. Uh, we can change that by first, having very extensive geophysical mapping of the territory to know, you know, uh, with reasonable, um, I would say, confidence the amount of minerals that are in that country. And then we would invest, you know, to prove those mineral resources. You know, and we'll create a framework whereby um, they can attract partners you know, uh, alongside us to develop those resources. And that's how the GDP grows. You know, but if you just look at it as it is now, I mean,
0: war, farming, or Ebola, all these other things, you don't do anything. I, but I think the main pushback you would get from people is they would say, governance is the big problem. Because how do we trust? Yes, these countries have mineral resources under the ground, but there's a long history of corruption. You know, we might go in and take some risk, and then we find that the project gets nationalized or somebody comes in and tries to ask us for money from this project. How, how do you bring this confident perspective to circumstances that have had, you know, so much poor governance in the past and even currently face a lot of political uncertainty? True.
1: I mean, one step at a time. That's what we do. You know, we try to create a, frame, uh, a framework where it's clear how we operate. You have to agree to how we operate. And we start with experiments. We start with pilots. And we build on that. That's what we do. We started first in Gabon. Now we're in Benin. Now we're in Togo. We're in Nigeria. We're in Chad. You know, we're, we're, we're in Cote d'Ivoire. You know, so it's one step at a time. You, know, you have to first make clear how you are going to operate. Create an enclave where there can be more certainty about how to operate reduce the risk of all of this happening by p- telling the government that you must locate one office with all the people that are going to provide all the permits and approval in that space, you know, and then they do the work. So that way, you eliminate that risk. You know, so it's one step at a time. You know, One successful model after the other.
0: We, we've got to wrap up. I got, I've got to let you get back to this, uh, this busy meeting week. What are one last question for you? What do you do here at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos? What kind what kinds of meetings are you happening? Are you doing deals? Give us a sense of what it's like for you to be here.
1: So for, for us, it's just really uh, partnerships. You know, um, finding you know more partners to do the work that we do.
0: So you're talking you know, to investment funds, pension funds, exactly, and then also
1: governments. You know, um, creating consensus. You know, with African governments on on how to to, to look at development, how to take more ownership. of of development and the examples that we need to set, you know, the strategy that we must set and start to implement if we want the world to support us. You know, um, I mean, this is a very fantastic forum to meet with people. You know, we meet a lot of partners here, you know, uh, we have a lot of partners that are working to um, accelerate development impact together with us in Africa. This is a good forum for us to meet them. And this is a good forum for us to also make a case, you know, for um, the need for Africa to be. An investment proposition bearing in mind you know all the vast minerals and the significant um, renewable energy sources we have the chance to produce the energy transition with the least carbon
0: footprint you know so we make that case and yeah. we hope
1: partners will work with us
0: well it is always fantastic to see you and uh, especially to hear this this perspective about opportunity and what's possible and uh, I think it's really refreshing. And thank you for taking a few minutes to, to join us for this podcast, Amila. much. Always, always a, a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you, always. Thanks for listening to Davos Dispatch, a special edition of This Week in Global Development. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I sure hope you did, please share it, or you can also leave us a rating or a review. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'd love to hear what you think feel free to shoot me a message on social media at Raj underscore DevX or send an email to podcasts at devx.com. Davos Dispatch is a podcast from DevX and it's hosted by me, Raj Kumar. Today's episode was produced and edited by Naomi Mihara.